in his name. Recall as John began his gospel, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. They struggled with the concept of having the Son of God, deity, eternal being, of having that being in their presence in the flesh. We're reminded in the book of John, a little bit later in the gospel, chapter 12, verses 42 and 43, that there were many of the rulers that believed But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. Interesting statement, is it not? Believing that Jesus is the Son of God, who would make the atonement for the transgressions of mankind, And yet they would not confess that to other men. Reason being, one is that they'd be put out of the synagogue. They'd be rejected by their people. For they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. That statement resonates down through time, does it not? So many want to acknowledge or say they do who Jesus is what it is that he expects out of them, but understanding what that would mean are not willing to make that decision because they love the praise of men more than they do the praise of God. Remind myself that through all of this, God still loves the world that he was still willing to send his son to be the absolute atonement for the sins of mankind. Knowing full well that in, even in that decision that the majority would not accept him but would reject him. A lot of it basically because accepting him would put them at odds with the people with whom they dwell And they were not willing to do that. And that has not changed. Even in our day and age, there are many who want to acknowledge Jesus, but also understand what that means. When you say that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man can come to the Father but through him, that automatically puts you at odds 
to the majority of the world. Put that odds with the majority of the religious world, even that. Very exclusive. And very hard to want to make that statement. And I heard a well-known theologian speak and make the comment. He quoted John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but through me. And immediately following that statement that he quoted out of the Bible, he made the statement, Jesus is one way, and there are many ways that one can go to, to heaven. The two do not go together. And yet because one wants to please men, that concept will be made along the way. And it's hard for us at times to realize that we have a tendency as human beings to put people into categories, including ourselves. We designate some as living, others as dead, physically or spiritually. We designate some as good and some as bad, some as believers and others as skeptic. But reality is much more complex than that. Our lives are never static. Lives are lived in continued motion. You're moving. You're moving closer to God or you're moving farther away from God. There is no remaining in the same place for any length of time. You're going to change. All of mankind will go through this. What matters is not so anything so simple as do you believe or do you doubt who Jesus is? Again, John 12, already 42 and 43. Many believed, but did not want to confess because they loved the praise of men more than they did the praise of God. There's a quality of doubt and there's a quality of belief that has to be considered. What do you believe? And it's always interesting in a conversation to ask people what they believe about Jesus and then to explore what they said. Do you believe in Jesus? Many will say, yes, they do believe in Jesus. What? Do you believe in Jesus? What exactly do you know what you're saying? I believe Jesus. Do you know what that means? Do you know what it means to call him Jesus? Do you understand what is involved if I call him Lord? And if I believe in him, what do I mean by that? You hear them say, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I say, do you really? And they say, yes, I do. Let's go over to Luke 6, 46 and see what it says there. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Well, I want to do what he says. I believe I am doing what he's saying. Well, let's go over to Mark 16. Verses 15 and 16. 
And at times when I've done that, again, if you're using one of those Bibles where the words of Jesus are in red, have them read that one. Go preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. And he who believes not shall be condemned. I put him quote the verse and then turn right around and make the statement. I believe and I'm saved and therefore afterwards I need to be baptized. Read the text again. The one who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Why would you call him Lord if you're not going to do what he says? Encourage people to take time. Again, the Bible uses the terms collectively, and that's fine. It needs to be done. But also, it's good to take the terms individually and describe what they mean. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Savior of God and is the Messiah. Take those words individually. Understand what they mean and what they say. Do you really believe that? Well, I call on the Lord. Why would you call him Lord but not do what he says? These things are written that you might believe that he is the Christ, that son of the living God. All Christians at some times during our life will have questions. And I don't know, that may begin about the age two in human beings and it continues throughout our life. We have questions. But does every question have to be satisfied in my mind? Questions I have now are not the questions I had when I became a child of the living God. The questions I had in the first few years of being a child of God are not the same questions that I have now. We're constantly changing. And through that process is also that learning. I am not God, and I do not know everything. And there comes a time when I have to have a trust, a confidence, a conviction that God is God. And that he knows exactly what he is doing. And he knows exactly how it will unfold. And he knows exactly what the purpose is for what unfolds within our life, our lifetime, but within a lifetime of human beings in general. He planned our redemption, Ephesians 1.4, before the foundation of the world, said he already had a plan. And he's executing that plan, and he knows exactly what's going on. If we are honest with ourselves in our lives as a child of God, we ought to be able to look back in our life and see how things have unfolded, oftentimes in ways that we did not expect them to unfold. We thought we may be moving in this direction, and then because of a circumstance or whatever else, we moved in another direction. And as we moved in this other direction, it's worked out for good. Whereas at the time we thought it was not good or that we did not understand. 
But our trust in God says God does know. He has a way of working things out in our life. One is reminding us through the physical life that we live, the brevity of the life in which we live, the uncertainty of life in which we live, the ups and the downs of goods and the bad, the health and the illnesses. All are reminders, the life and the death, all are reminders. This physical life is not the one that we are to be pursuing, but it is the spiritual life that we are to pursue within our life. Look at the text that we read this morning out of John 20, verses 19 through 31. Look at the mighty act of God. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A fulfillment of what Jesus had taught during his earthly ministry. The fulfillment of saying that he would go into Jerusalem, that he would be portrayed, that he would be crucified, and that he would raise again the third day. That he'd be rejected. And as you look at this mighty act of God, the physical raising of Jesus from the dead, He had taught his disciples and the multitudes during his ministry that this is where his life was headed. This is the direction in which he was going. And this was to be the fulfillment of the promise of God. And yet, after the resurrection... Were the disciples filled with awe and adoration? He had told them, I am God. God cannot lie. He had taught them that he would be crucified, that he would be buried, that he would be raised again that third day Being God, he cannot lie. So this third day, there's a resurrection where they stand in awe and admiration of what had taken place. No. What were they doing? What were they doing? We'll look at some cases as we go through, but what were they doing? Where did Jesus meet him that first resurrection evening? Behind closed doors, out of fear of the Jews. That's what the text says. Makes you wonder whether there's some more and something else involved in that. Were they really afraid of the Jews? Or could it be their own unbelief that they doubted that he had been raised from the dead? (laughs) 
one of the first people to the tomb was Mary Magdalene. Mentioned in Luke 8 and verse 2 as being one of the women who had evil spirits and infirmities, that she had seven demons in her that had been cast out, and that she had provided for Jesus of her substance throughout his ministry. She was there, walked with him, heard him, helped provide for the necessities that they needed as he carried out his ministry. And yet, in verse 2 of John 20, Mary Magdalene ran, came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb. And we do not know where they've laid him. Listen to the man for three and a half years. Watch the actions, the deeds, the miracles. Again, to have heard the teaching out of the mouth of Jesus of what was going to happen. And then on that resurrection day, coming to the tomb, her and the other women, not expecting, not expecting a resurrection. They were expecting to fulfill the rest of the preparation for the burial of the body. Came with the spices. Peter and John, as they were there as well, were not expecting a resurrection. They were marveled at running into the tomb and seeing the grave cloths folded and laid on the proper place. Not expecting that resurrection. Meeting behind closed doors. Why? They were not expecting a resurrection. Not hearing what Jesus had said. Never cross our lives. Do we hear the words of Jesus? Do we hear the words that I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you, says the Lord, Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. And yet when things get a little rough, we become discouraged and think we're all, woe is us. We're all alone. Do we not really hear what is there? So we're not alone, these early disciples who walked with them. They were, had their doubts along the way. So you go from verse 2, Mary is saying that they've taken him, the Lord, out of the tomb. And where they laid him, we don't know. Down to verse 16. She's looking for Jesus and sees what, who she supposed in verse 15 to be a gardener. 
Where have you taken him away? Tell us. Tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. And then verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. And then she knew who it was. But not expecting. Hearing, but not believing. Have we changed? These things were written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that believing in Him, you might have life in His name. Do you really understand what is being asked of you as you make a commitment to Him that being Lord and Savior, the willingness to do indeed what He says? The disciples, again verse 19 of the reading, The same day, at evening being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst of them and said, Peace be with you. Fear of the Jews. And again, remind yourself of the disciples. You go back to Luke 9, verses 1 and 2. The disciples were given authority and power over all demons and to cure diseases and to preach the kingdom of God. Look in Matthew 10 and verse 8. They were to heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. And yet, They doubted the power of God to the one whom they declared to be the Son of God, the one whom they declared to be the Redeemer, to be the Savior. And yet, they doubted and did not trust Him. One of the amazing things is that as Jesus meets with those disciples, Behind those closed doors. He didn't say, Oh ye, oh ye of little faith. Why did you not believe? He had talked to them about that earlier in their ministry, Oh ye of little faith. But he said, Peace be with you. You need the peace. You don't need to be chastised for saying, why did you not believe? Why did you not trust? Why did you doubt? He knows. Peace be with you. And the change will take place. Thomas, was it there? I've said it times before, that's one of those interesting statements. The first gathering of the disciples together following the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and one of the disciples isn't there. Not told why. 
But again, cannot recall, we'll go back and reclaim that first image of the resurrected Jesus standing before you, saying peace to you. He missed that. We see it again the following week. The Lord would tell him, reach forth your hand, touch me. See, what's, see that it is me. And Thomas' statement, my God, my Lord, and my God. What a change. But I'm saying, human beings, the ebb and the flow, the human beings, the strong moments and the weak moments, the human beings in struggling and striving to do what is right. The disciples had gone through that as well. And the one thing that has to stand out is the patience, the love, and the support that Christ gives to his people. doesn't chastise us and say, oh, oh ye of little, why do you doubt? Why do you doubt who I am and what I'm capable of doing? You have a record. These things are written that you might believe that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that believing in him you could have life in his name. Why do you doubt who he is? And if you're not doubting who he is, why do you give that impression by the life we live? That he's not with us each step of the way. That he's not walking with us, he's not strengthening us. He's enabling us to do things that we could not do if it was not for him working in our lives, even in our weaknesses and our shortcomings. He is still there. We need to move and to trust God. That's why we're giving the scriptures. Again, they're written for us. Go back and read Job. In the last few chapters, Job 38, 1 through 7, where God asked Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the world? Tell me if you know. Explain to me why things work the way that they do. Can you even begin to explain them? How the heavens work? Well, we know what they do. We know what's involved in that. But why? What purpose is there behind it? Explain the creation world that he has made. How do you explain every living creature and its unique design? What was involved in doing that? Can you explain that? The giraffe, the elephant, the platypus, up and down the line anywhere you want to go. How do you explain these animals or the created world in which he's made? And Job learned to be silent and to trust God. That's what happens. See, he was going through the physical problems. Are we any different? Lord, why? Why is everything that I've labored for all of a sudden just taken away, wiped out? Why is there the family that we have built together and loved and cherished all of a sudden, it's gone. 
Why is the health all of a sudden gone? We know from reading the book. Job didn't have that. Why, God? I have not done anything wrong. I've lived an upright life. I put my trust in you. And we do not see, even at times for us today, we do not see Satan and his tempting. We also forget sometimes the power of God. The power of God. Job was not forsaken by God. God knew every step of the way that Job was going through. God had a confidence in Job that is really beyond our understanding. Go back and read Job 1 and 2. Can you imagine God of the universe standing before Satan the tempter and saying, have you considered my servant Job? Do you know what kind of man I have before me? Loves uprightness, does justice. Wow, what confidence in a human being God has. That hasn't diminished any. God has confidence in you as a human being. He has confidence in you as a child of his that you can, despite anything that happens in this world, regardless of what it is, regardless of where it comes from, regardless of how we perceive it, God will never forsake us, nor will he ever leave us. For those who can keep that faith and that trust in God, indeed, heaven is a glorious home. And heaven is a glorious reward for those who are faithful to God. They're here to guide us. Do we listen to the scriptures? Do we draw the strength that we need from them? These were men and women just like you and I today. They had their ups and their downs just like we have today. But as they took each step of the way, they learned to put that trust, that faith in God. Put that faith in Jesus that would see him through until the end of time. These were written for our instruction that we through the patience and the comforts of the scriptures might have hope. Do you have that hope? Is that yours today? Do you have that hope in God above that he walk with you each step of the way and then he will take you to heaven in that glorious day when it comes. That hope is not yours. It needs to be. If we could assist you in letting that become your hope, by your obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ, we want to encourage you to do that. Or if you let the world tarnish your view and need to return home where you belong, if we could assist you, if we could help you in any way, then indeed we bid you to come as together we stand and sing. <laughs>